This is the A. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is the A where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! We want to uh, thank, as always, Central Works for sponsoring the Yay, uh, Jan Leifler and uh, Gary Graves. Central Works, the new play theater, reinventing theater one play at a time. We really, really want to thank them for sponsoring us. And we have a fantastic guest, uh, Margot Hall. I think it was only a couple of weeks ago you um, were um, made the new artistic director of the Lorraine Hansberry Theater. So congratulations right. to you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> yeah, you. And welcome, and welcome to the Yay. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. You know, there's sunshine and <laughs> got a full day of work, but grateful, thankful for that. And Great. happy to be here hanging out with y'all. So. Yeah. Yeah. We were just talking off mic that I think you're setting up for a rehearsal, right? You guys are doing a radio play. Yeah. Yeah. We're putting it together, coming together. We got an all-star cast, Campo Santo, bringing back Hotel Angulo, which was a play by Luis Saguar. And to honor him, we're trying to get it out before his birthday. He was oh. one of our founding brothers. Um, and, uh, yeah, we got Catherine Castellanos and nice. Michael Chang and Beatrice oh. and Rodessa Jones. Damn. Sean San Jose, of course, Donald Lacey, uh, One Way Possible, Juan, Amador. Uh, yeah, we got everybody up in That's this amazing. Place, so. Yeah. Right Right on. No, that's going to be awesome. And we will advertise that as that comes along. Cool. Norman, as I begin uh, each week, um, how was your week? I did a modeling gig live. Oh. That was scary. And it's funny because I walked in, the teacher said, how you doing? I'm like, I'm a little bit nervous about this. But everybody was masked, all three students. <laughs> that's, they did it in a big gallery space, just three mm -hmm. students. They're setting up to Zoom in the future, but today was not that. I mean, not today, but when I did it. So that was big this week. Um, I keep meeting with these, or talking to these people, artistic directors and such, about this whole, um, I don't even know how to label it, this whole equity thing, um, which is an exciting conversation to watch, but I, I noticed that a lot of black leaders are kind of going, I'm glad to hear y'all saying that, and what are you going to do? <laughs> so that's where we're at now. Is And then yesterday, so I walked out of a Zoom meeting <laughs> talking about that, went to have a meeting with an artistic director, and before I got to my car, I got the text, RBG, and I was like, mm -hmm. my day just got hard. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's going to be yeah. really, really hard for, and you know, it's, it's interesting. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who I suspect it's conservative. Have you had those conversations where you ask someone, hey, so how are you feeling? Or, oh my God, you know, tragic news about, you know, I don't know, something going on with Trump. And you get these cryptic conversations where someone doesn't want to let you know what their affiliations are. Right. Uh-oh. Well, I'm feeling bad, but maybe you're not. So, um, right. No, they're celebrating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's unfortunate. And of course, that's the biggest current events. I mean, um, yeah. I feel so bad for women. I, I think, you know, uh, if you're a young woman or a young girl and yep. you need to go to Planned Parenthood or you just need, you know, something to be taken care of and you don't want your parents to know or whatever, you know, if you live in one of these states, what are you going to do? I mean, um, and that's really what Ruth Bader Ginsburg was all about, about the freedom of women, you know, the freedom of choosing, you know, how yeah. your body 
um, choosing what to do with your body. I mean, Margo, uh, do you have any thoughts about Ruth Bader Ginsburg's past? Oh yeah, it's 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 tragic. It's tragic. She was our champion. She was our hero. And um, I'm actually currently working on a podcast at this time with um, Lee Fondakowski, who I wrote the People's Oh Book. yeah. And it's actually called The Consequential Feminist. Um, so we're doing a whole podcast um, in celebration of the, you know, anniversary. Um, right. And uh, so we've been talking a lot about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and all these amazing women, um, black and white, and the whole issue around feminism and what these women did. So it just was so tragic because not only because she was Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but I've been spending a lot of time with material with her name in it. You know? Right. And really dealing with and understanding how prolific she was and how all these women were. Right. Um, you know, I've always had this, these issues around feminism because I, I've never felt that the white feminists welcome the black feminists. Right. So, and uh, so when I was approached to do this project, you know, I worked with Lee on the People's Temple and we we're just really good friends. And she was like, I wanna uh, bring you on as an associate producer. Mm -hmm. And at first I was like, well, you know, I, I need to talk about some things before right. this idea of what does it mean? What, what are you gonna be talking about in this piece? And uh, right. so one of the first things she talked about was this amazing black feminist named Pauli Murray. Um, and hit me to a lot of stuff mm -hmm. that I wasn't even aware of. So uh, digging into all of that material and also having a voice to talk about my thoughts on feminism and interview a lot of Black women to talk right. about their issues on feminism, you know, because it always goes back to what are you first? <laughs> what right. do you fight for first, being Black or being right. a feminist? Right, and ain't I a woman? Right. And it's so it's just Sojourn the truth quote. Go ahead. Yeah. So um so yeah, so so when she died, and it's one of those things where we knew it was coming. Right. But we were like, hold on, hold on. And she fought so <laughs> And she hard. did, yeah. She fought so hard. Um and you know, my mom that passed died of pancreatic cancer. So I Ooh. know how painful that is. Mm -hmm. And to think that she was struggling with that type of cancer and still showing up right. just amazes me. So, and you know, I was in a debate yesterday, my um, brother-in-law, he's, he's into politics, they live in DC. He worked for Clinton, he worked with the Clinton administration, he's a lawyer. Oh, okay. And, um, and, and, and somewhat with the Obama administration. And so he was just like, oh my God, we're doomed, it's over, what's gonna happen? And I was like, no, I have to have hope. And uh, so we're texting back and forth, me and my sisters. And, uh -huh. and I'm like, oh, no, I can feel it. We're going to have a black female um, in, on the Supreme Court. I know it. I feel it. And then they were like, well, what kind of black female? Right. What, a Clarence Thomas black female? And I was like, no, no, it's not going to be that. It's going to be a Democrat. And they're like, girl, you're dreaming. So we just were going back and forth. Um, <laughs> you know. I love the hopefulness. I mean, that's yeah. what I want to do today is I really want to celebrate her. And to celebrate, because, you know, it is scary. I did see one post. Um, somebody said, it's over. Just capital letters. It's over. And I'm like, you know, that little woman 
in the face of amazing, you know, there was no way these people even wanted to listen to her. And she was so strategic and so smart. And I'm like, I'm not ready to give up. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, she she wouldn't want us to give up as as well. You know, it's interesting, Margo, you were talking, a a couple of things popped in my mind. You talked about the uh, the Jonestown project. And Mm -hmm. I forget the guest that we had on Norman. Um, It was only a couple of uh, days ago, a couple of episodes ago. She had also worked on the Jonestown thing. But I always think of Christine Miller. Christine Miller was one of the last, um, she was a member of the, uh, she was a black woman who was a member mm-hmm. of um, Jonestown. Yeah. And she was one of the last ones. I'm sure you know her. Very I played well. Christine Miller. There yeah. you go. There you go. And I yeah. mean, talk about we, a hero. Oh yeah. We used, you know, the uh, last portion of the play before the mass murder suicide. Right. Uh, uh, I played Christine Miller and we took the words right off the transcripts. And it was such a powerful moment to play her and to fight and show this woman saying, no, no, wait, we can go to Russia. Remember you talked about Russia? No, we can't do this, Jim. Um, And I got to play that part. Mm -hmm. And I was one of the writers and also I was in the plays. So uh, four years of work. Yeah, but Christine Miller, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and you know, we're talking about, you know, just powerful women who, in the face of an establishment that doesn't recognize black women, right. uh, she was one, and there was one tape, it's very an obscure tape, because Jonestown, they recorded pretty much everything, and there was a point where Jim Jones pointed a gun at Christine Miller and said, hey, you know, stop challenging my authority, and she was like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, you'll send me to God, you'll send me to heaven, but, you know, you can pull the trigger if you want to, and Jim yeah. Jones backed off. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> You know, this thing about whether you're black or whether you're feminist and, you know, the very fact that you have to have that argument, that's been going on since Sojourner Truth, you know, uh, came up to a feminist, uh, uh, feminist abolitionist meeting and said, hey, ain't I a woman too? Right. So it's been going on for a long, long time. Um, and yeah, you know, women have to come together, but also white women, even the progressive woke white women, they need to recognize black women. And well, hopefully yeah. they're listening. Really. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, that's the thing. I was listening to a, a Zoom um, thing with some amazing women on this uh, after this other a uh, couple couple weeks ago, and this black woman was saying they don't want to listen to black women. Right. There have been so many black women who've said profound things that could have changed the world. When Barbara Lee yep. said, "Do not go to war," right. Yep. Nobody wanted to listen to her. No. You know, it's like, why don't you just listen to black women? Don't you understand that we are ordained? We are magic. Oh, they we and they the cut answers. It off. <laughs> With um I just I just read the John Lewis story. And they talk about Fannie Lou Hamer at the convention, and I didn't even know about that. Yeah. And they cut it off. Lyndon Johnson cut the broadcast. I'm like Whoa, that is because he knew this black woman talking to America was going to move things. Yeah. And Johnson was a uh, Democrat. You think that it would be a Republican. And uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, you know, they say that the white man oppresses the black man and then the black man oppresses the black woman. I've heard that so many times. And I think that the black woman, the stereotype is, you know, the woman who's in the kitchen and, you know, the, uh, the Aunt Jemima stuff. And there's right. this image that people have that we really need to just be wiped away. I mean, got you know, that folk yeah. wisdom, but no, no knowledge. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. And it needs to be pushed away. So, yeah. Uh, 
<clears throat> hopefully that'll happen. Also uh, in the news, uh, I'll just touch one other thing. Um, the, our attorney general, uh, Barr, said uh, COVID lockdown, lockdown, the greatest intrusion of civil rights other than slavery. I don't know if you heard that quote. Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> I'm glad he said other than. I'm glad because the rest of them just go there. Oh, this is like slavery. I'm like, somebody whipping you? Is right. Somebody raping your mama? What are you talking about? How do you even put those two things together? What is wrong with this man? <laughs> they are trying to scare people. They are do and they're doing a pretty good oh job of it. God. Yeah, I think things are going to just be uh, more. Comp I mean, things are. You think emotions are high now? We're only forty. I think forty days away from the election. Ooh. We have no idea when it will really, really end. And of course, with the Ruth Brayton Ginsburg, you know that McConnell's going to rush. Uh, you know, a session. Oh yeah, he's going to push that vote. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's trying. They, you know, this is their dream. Yeah. Phone calls are happening today. Yeah. So yeah. People trying to. Yeah, we got to fight. We have to fight. And the oh, Democrats yeah. need to fight. They need well, you know, to Susan fight. Collins is concerned. Oh, the uh, the Republican from Maine. Yeah. Oh, she's oh, concerned. Yeah, she's, she's concerned. Well, <laughs> let's you know, let's hope that's just not words. You know, let's see what happens. Because, you know, we I think four only four Republicans need to be flipped yep. to save, you know, and that's if, you know, McConnell can rush things in. So, Margo, right. one, one last button for you. How confident do you feel, how optimistic do you feel about the upcoming elections and just the future, 2021? I mean, are you confident? Are you pessimistic? How do you feel? I think we're going to take them out. Yay. Yeah. I think that we're – and I – part of me doesn't even feel like it's going to be close. Everybody's like, oh, it's going to be close. But mm -hmm. I think people are going to come through. And I think the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg is what's going to push people even further to fight, especially women. Especially, I hope those young – I young. hope it's white women who will yeah. come forth uh, – and I, I have to have hope. And I do feel like he's going to be out. I don't know how easy it's going to be to get him out of the White House physically. Right. But I do think that we're going to win the election. And I think Pamela Harris, it's time. She's got to get in there. And then right. I think that she's eventually going to be president within these four years. This, this so, is time for her to learn, yes. So, uh, so yeah, I, I, I'm banking on that. I'm praying on that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I feel so, too. Uh, Norman, uh, Norman I'll, I'll turn it up to you um, to, to conduct the interview. Uh, <laughs> so, Reg is indulging me. This is, this is my birthday treat to myself, my bad That's summit, right. my Bay Area Director Summit. And, <laughs> um, and so we always ask people to start with an origin story, but I just want to say, you know, personally, I've known Margot for a long time. Um, Elizabeth and I became friends, and Margot was one of the first people I met through Elizabeth. And we have worked together in so many different capacities. I mean, I don't know how many little, you know, continuation schools and, you know, <laughs> programs that we've done, readings that we've done. Yeah. Um, and when you directed uh, Funny House of a Negro. Yes. I just, at that, I was already in love with you, but artistically, I was suddenly like, wow, because you talk about having a black woman's voice. Now, this is a, a play that I read in school, like a lot of people did, mm -hmm. and it made no sense to me. It's absurdist. It, it is beyond absurdist. Um, it is deep, and it is difficult language. You made it flow. 
You made it make sense. You, I felt like you honored the playwright. I didn't feel like you were trying to fix anything. I felt like you found that way in and said, this is what this, is what this writer is trying to say. Not this woman, not this black woman, this writer. Yes. You know, her, the core of who she is. All of those things are all into this mix. And you were able to just serve it up. And I was like, after that, I want to see Margot direct anything. <laughs> yeah, you know, oh, that was, whew, that was such a hard play. And it was challenging. And it was funny because it was intersection directions. And it was like emerging directors. I think that was like the second play I ever directed, Norman. Mm -hmm. And the first play was a short story, right? It was a great oh, Sarah's story. Work. Yeah, it was a co-production of Compo and Word for Word. So that was this was my first play. And um, and I do I remember just like, oh, wh what is she saying? What is she saying? And and you're right, it just started to reveal itself because I didn't let it intimidate me and I honored that it was profound. Yeah. And it was interesting because I actually met her and did a reading of a version of Dracula oh. that she wrote for the McCarter Theater in New mm -hmm. York. Um, and it was like, I can't, long, long time ago, it was when I was still in New York. And uh, we, we did this reading and it was this, oh, it was so beautiful, but it was the story of Dracula. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it was on a little cassette tape. <laughs> and ah. it was Peter and I. Right. And, uh, and, I and, and she was just this little tiny woman and just the brains of like an Amazon, just profound. Yeah. And, I, and so when I got this play, I remembered that. I remembered her and I remembered that experience. And then I was like, all I have to do is wait and let it happen. And again, this was my second play, right? So right. I, I didn't know any rules around <laughs> how you're supposed to direct something. Right. I just said, okay, let's do this and let's do that. And let's read and let's understand this. And then, I mean, I had you, Benton, all these amazing people um, that I could work with. And mm -hmm. so it was, uh, yeah, but I remember the day was opening. I was like, oh my God, what have I done? Ah, no, you did it. So <laughs> let's go back. How did you get into theater? Are, you're not, are you, you're not oh, a Bay Area person, are you? No, no, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm from Detroit. I'm repping Detroit today, hey, hey. Detroit Motor City. Um, yeah, I grew up in Detroit, and I've always been a performer since I was a little girl. And then, you know, my mom married my stepfather, who worked for Motown. Uh, oh. So grew up with uh, all the Motown artists. He was the arranger and the conductor for the Supremes. So I, uh, I performed on stage. I was the fourth Supreme. Yeah. So I grew up knowing the Temptations. Uh, Aretha Franklin sang at my mother's funeral. Wow. Uh, oh, yeah, man. sat at the piano and sang Precious Lord. You talking about people falling out. Oh, I bet. Uh, but it was beautiful. And when my mom died, she just said, what What y'all want me to do? Because um, um, my, my stepdad, he wrote and he wrote arrangements for Aretha. Uh, oh. all, all of those Motown people were like my family. So I grew up just 
with some hardworking artists. And I knew right. they were famous or whatever, but it was just people who worked hard, who made this incredible music and created this community. And so, uh, so, but then when it was time for me to go to college, my mom was like, well, you're not gonna go to college for theater. You're going to be a doctor. I said, Had oh. you already been doing theater? Oh yeah, yeah, I did theater all through high school. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, interesting story, uh, you know, we were doing like Alice Childress and right. I, I, the first theater I ever acted in was the Langston Hughes Theater. Very, very, very black uh-huh. um, um, upbringing, uh, all about black power and, uh, and just very exposed to people like Ron Milner, you know, at a young age, uh-huh. uh, these very old classic playwrights. And about my dad being this musician, I was exposed to a lot of musicals and things like that. So then uh, uh, my teacher in high school was Brenda Perriman, my acting teacher, mm-hmm. my, my mentor, my everything. She also taught Dominique Morceau uh, many years later, the playwright. Uh-huh. So we both, and you know, Dominique's from Detroit. Uh-huh. And we share the same acting teacher. Uh-huh. Uh, which is just, which is wonderful. That's got to be a nice feeling. Yeah. But, you said, but when you got to college, your mom said no. No yeah, theater. Yeah, she said, uh, well, she didn't really, she just said, you know, we need a doctor in the family. So she had dictated what, I had two sisters. She told my older sister, you have to do business, even though she wanted to be a dancer. Oh. My second sister had to uh, be in uh, psychology, even though she uh-huh. wanted to be a journalist. And then I was the doctor. Uh, even though I wanted to be an actress. Right. And so I said, ah, I don't know about Dr. K- what about a dentist? <laughs> so <she's, laughs> fine, whatever. So I went to school for two years at the University of Michigan, pre-med, on the path uh-huh. to be a dentist. And it was horrible. I, I couldn't pass a class. I mean, you know, I did okay. Because I was pretty smart. I had really good, like, biology and science stuff. Right. So, and I got like a good little scholarship and all that, but I just kept going to the theater. I would, can I be on the costume crew? Cause I wasn't a theater major, you know, uh-huh. I just kept finding myself going to the theater, trying to get on different, anything I could do. And then my last semester, I had all theater courses. Yay. I said, what's happening? This is, this is, this has got to change. And so I just said, mama, I'm changing my major. I want to do theater. And then she was like, oh, great, sure, whatever. Really? <laughs> and she was like, oh, okay. So I uh, transferred and went to school in Long Island, New, New York, uh-huh. Garden City, to the school called Adelphi University. And the reason I chose that school was because I picked up a paper and there was a black girl from Detroit and she was at this school called Adelphi and she was uh-huh. an actress. So I was like, oh, that's where I'm going. Right. Black girl there. So uh, so I just, you know, I had no knowledge of New York, but mm-hmm. I was like, this is what I got to do. Right. So I uh, auditioned and I sent in a tape for this school. And uh, it was just so black and so Detroit. And uh-huh. it was like you had to do a Shakespeare and then a monologue of your choice. So of course I did for colored girls and I uh-huh. did the monologue where she drops the babies. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, where he drops the baby, so I'm right. all dramatic. Bo Whitley, bro, drop my babies, you know. And I did my thing, and then Shakespeare. I had, I had no knowledge of Shakespeare really, so okay. I did something. Uh, Lord Bassanio, here I stand, or something, you know. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> uh huh. So sent in my tape and just knew, you know, they're gonna pick me. I'm a superstar, uh, and they didn't. And I was like, oh, wait a minute, why can't I get in? So my oldest sister was like, she's a she's a force of nature. And she mm -hmm. was like, oh, no, no, you're talented and you're going to get into this school. So she called the school and she said, why? Why is my Why did my sister get in? And they were like, well, you know, we just don't feel that she is ready yet for um, this school. And it even wasn't even that good of a school. Right. So she was like, no, it's. So my sister was like, it's because you're black and you did this black monologue. So we gonna get you in this school. So my sister was living in New Jersey at the time. Uh -huh. So I came up and she made an appointment with the head of the school and said, she's going to re-audition. And we went out and she bought me, a, I had braids at the time. Uh -huh. She bought me a all white outfit, a little eyelet. She put a bow in my hair and she said, you're going to do our town. So I went in there. <laughs> oh goodness. And I went in and I was like, hello. And then I was like, oh, Earth, you know. So right. Emily Monologue. And they were like, oh, that was fantastic. And I got into that school and ah. I raised hell my whole time there. Yeah. It was a very racist institution. Mm -hmm. And I fought my way through that school. And uh, we were never cast in any of the main stage productions. Uh -huh. So me and the other black students, we formed our own company. Oh. The um, Cultural Arts Theatrical Society, CATS. And we decided to do all our own plays. And we went into the neighborhoods to get ads. You know how you used to have a little ad book? And we yeah. would our programs and get all of our ads. And we were right by Hempstead. And I don't know if you know who's from Hempstead. No. Public Enemy. Oh. So we made friends with Public Enemy. I hung out with Flavor Flay and all of those dudes, right? And uh, and they helped us. We got all this money from the uh, black neighborhood, which was right, you know, not far from uh, Long, uh, Garden City. Mm -hmm. And and uh, they were doing cabaret. Uh, you know, cabaret is a huge cast. Right. Mm -hmm. And the whole cast is like 40 people on stage. So we were like, forget that. We're going to do Ain't Misbehaving. So we got the cafeteria. We set up our own stage. And we uh, went and opened on the same opening night as Cabaret. Stood at the door of the theater at Delphi University and handed our flyers. And was like, don't see this. See Ain't Misbehaving. And we did a, we did a run, like, like a weekend. Uh -huh. We had all our own stuff. We had our own lights. We paid for our own um, musical accompanist. And we just raised all this money. And we just said, you're not going to cast us. We're going to do our own thing. Damn. Um, but yeah. And then, you know, I, I fought so much <laughs> in this school. Not just that. I mean, in my classes. And I had a teacher tell me that I, you know, Black people shouldn't do Shakespeare because the tongues are too thick. Mm. Um, yes, because I was trying to do Shakespeare, and he was like, "No, just just do Raisin in the Sun." 
here, here's Lorraine Hansberry. Right. Uh, but you shouldn't really bother with that. And I believe that for many, many years. No, I thought when I met you that you weren't really messing with Shakespeare. Yeah, it was, it was in my brain, right? <laughs> and um, so after that school, I just thought I have not learned as much as I needed to learn. Mm -hmm. um, and so I said, I got to go to grad school. So then I went to Catholic University of America in D.C. Um, yeah, and I got Red my DC boy. Oh yeah, yeah. Chocolate City, Chocolate City. Go ahead. Yes, Go ahead. yeah. So I got my master's there, um, and uh, yeah, and so went there, and it was still rough at that time. As far as <laughs> I mean, I work at uh, UC Berkeley now in theater, teaching theater, right. uh, acting, and. Um, and I think about some of the conversations we have around diversity and trying to get the students, you know, taking care of our students of color in these institutions. And right. there was none of that when I was, no. you know, it was like black place. No, we'll, you can go in the little tiny theater and do something black or whatever. Right. So, um, but I, I did love that graduate school and I learned a lot. Um, and I had a couple of, you know, teachers who would try to make stuff for me, you know, like one guy was like, I have all these slave narratives and I would love oh. to. No, no, but it was wonderful. It was beautiful. No, I know the, the material is amazing. Yeah, yeah. But it was that, you know, that, but he really kind of was my little angel in that space. And mm -hmm. he would try to just get projects for me. And he really supported the only black playwright we had in the, in the, um, school and she would all her plays I was in because I was the only black person in the right. class. Uh, but the cool thing that came out of that was my last year I auditioned for a play at Arena Stage. Uh-huh. Um, you know, in one of the largest Lord Theaters ever. Right. And I got cast in Playboy of the West Indies. Uh -huh. It was uh, Playboy of the Western World set in Trinidad. Uh-huh. Mature. He did a lot of plays where he would um, you know, transcribe, not necessarily transcribe, I guess transcribe, and put them uh in Trinidad. Right. And nice. uh, yeah. So uh and that's when I met Peter. And uh and so I got that gig, right? Right, right. out of right out of grad school. And I had a teacher at Catholic U who said, yeah. You're gonna miss three classes. So if you take this play, I will fail you. Right. And I said, well, you're going to fail me then because I'm not going to lose this opportunity. This is what I've been spending money right. for for the last three years and taking out all these damn student loans. And now you're going to tell me I can't take this gig. Right. Bye-bye. Um, I will take a summer class. Right. So we fought Jackson. <laughs> oh, we just would fight, fight, fight. But um, so, uh, so I... Uh, I took that gig and I came to Arena at an amazing time because, you know, Arena Stage had a company for years. Right. These incredible actors, Halo Wine, Stanley, Andrews, all these people. And I got in there and they said, we're going to make a junior company. So oh. it was about eight of us and we were all like under 25. Mm. And they formed a company for us. We got three shows a year and oh. understudy. Now, you know, we had small roles. Right. But we also got to do our own show. And yeah. Arena Stage at the time, they had two theaters. They had the theater in the round, the Krieger, 
and they had um, a little small like basement theater. Okay. So we did our little show in the basement theater, and then we got to work on the bigger stages. Mm -hmm. Also, like I did Midsummer Night's Dream with this crazy Russian director, Lili Tule. Um, and it was like his signature Midsummer Night's Dream and the theater in the round. And it was, it, it was like so amazing. So you did get to do some Shakespeare. Yeah, I was a fairy, you know. Ah! But, uh, <laughs> but, but what happened for me during that time, again, having these thoughts about Shakespeare, and I said, um, I don't know anyone Black who does Shakespeare. And right. then somebody said, you need to go down to the Folger. And Reg, you know about the Folger Theater. Yeah, the Folger, the famous Folger Theater, yeah. Yeah, and it, it's now called the Shakespeare Company or something. But right. there's this Black woman there named Fran Dorn. And they said, she's playing Cleopatra. And I got my little ticket and I went down there and that woman blew my mind. Uh -huh. She, to this day, she was the premier Shakespeare theater actor for that company. Mm -hmm. She played all the major female roles. And she no, I'm sorry, you said her name was Fran? Fran Dorn. Okay. Oh. Yeah, I'm friends with her on Facebook, even though she probably doesn't know me. She kind of knows me. Uh -huh. But she helped me so much get over my phobia around Shakespeare. Yay. Um, and then meeting Peter, right? you know, and his prolific, you know, history with Shakespeare uh, was also very helpful. But I was still a little nervous, right? Yeah. Um, because even at... I think I was in, I was always like, not the main character in Shakespeare. Right. Um, I was like Hyman or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I remember, show up. Right, I played Hyman and the director was like, I think she's like Diana Ross. So it was just this whole thing where I oh, was why not? Diana Ross and they were singing, tis Hyman, you know? Right. And like four lines or something. Um, but uh, so I was exposed to Shakespeare. And then when I saw Frandor, I was like, okay, this is it. I can do this. But then I got scared again. And then, oh. you know, we came here, stayed here. So you guys didn't stay on the East Coast. You came, you came to- Well, you know, what happened was, well, Peter got a job at Berkeley Rep. He was okay. cast in New York by Tony Ticcone, like on the spot to be a nice. major barber. Mm-hmm. Thousand years ago. So in 91, right. we came out here. Okay. And then we just never left. Yay. Um, and then, you know, I it, it took me a minute. I was just like Peter Callender's wife, you know, who's right. woman. And I was like, look, I have a master's degree. I come from Arena Stage. And people were like, oh, yeah, yes, sure, of course. So it took me a minute, um, and then I just kept auditioning and doing readings. That's probably when I met you and Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was at Cal Shakes with uh, right. Peter, and that's how I met Elizabeth. Right. Um, and yeah, I she was, very proudly talked about babysitting for Brandon. Yes, yes, yes. And that was a really special time. And uh, so then I got a gig at the Magic Theater. It was Unquestioned Integrity, the Hill Thomas hearing. Yes, I remember that. And I played Anita Hill. Mm -hmm. Wow. And Sebastian Chain directed it. 
and uh, Mame Hunt wrote it. And it was all verbatim text. Right. Just like the, you know, the People's Temple Project. Right. And what they did, they took all the transcripts and they um, put it into three characters. So there was a Clarence Thomas character, the Anita Hill character, and then one guy played all of the senators. Right. And it was a little strange, you know, to kind of put that together. But there were some really profound moments in the play because since it was verbatim, we were imitating the actual people. So, you know, I had on that blue suit, had yeah. my hair just like Anita Hill. I learned how to speak like her. I watched all these tapes mm -hmm. and just really did, you know, play Anita Hill. Mm -hmm. And and then they were able to take scenes where they put Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas like in the same space and laid out their histories, you know, and you see how similar their backgrounds are. And then when it starts to shift and right. different things, but they, you know, uh, so that was my first gig. And everybody was like, oh, where have you been? And right. I was like, right here. So, so, uh, so, you know, we did that gig and it was, it was so, it was great. And I got to work with Ellen Sebastian Che. Yeah. First director and became, you know, my home girl forever for the rest of our lives. Hey, I think so, she's floating uh, around here right now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually, we've got a project going. Yeah. That's she's a new, she's always working on something. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so that, that happened. And then Campo Santo came into the picture. Uh, I worked with Sean at the magic on the show. And then I met Luis in the show and then they were like, Hey, why don't you just come and be a part of our company? So it was like early stages. They had done one right. show and, um, and I was like, who are these guys? You know? And they were like, no, oh, Marvel, you gotta be in our company. And Dina Martinez was like, they're asking you to be Campo Santo? You better do it. You better do it. And I was like, all right, whatever. Really? So uh, hooked up with these guys, and that was it. You know, then the real work started. The real profound work started. And working with a collaborative group that basically set the foundation for everything that I do today. Um, it's, it's been amazing to watch because, I mean, these are sort of the roots of where you've been at, but you've also been, shit, you've been on all the stages. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a stage you haven't been on? You've been, you've been Berkeley Rep, you've been Marin Theater Company, a lot of you have been ACT. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I, it's amazing to watch. And now you're in this position where <clears throat> you get to set the vision. You get to help set that agenda for where we go next. And it couldn't be a better time, I would say, because yeah, yeah. right now everything is being questioned. Everything is being discussed. Do you have a feel, a real sense of where you want to go with it? I, I really, truly, and not like a cliche, I want to create a safe space for black artists. I want to create a space where people can thrive and not just by producing the play. I want a community space where we come together and we create art. We have a gallery. We have an educational program. We have a musical element. We mm -hmm. have, I mean, I just feel like 
we have this opportunity to really be the architects of this time. Right. And, um, and I, my vision is huge, of course, mm-hmm. and it will take time. But I feel like, you know, you, it's like when you live paycheck to paycheck, you live show to show. And right. I, don't, I don't want that. I want us to think broad. I want us to think like we are an incubator for right. young artists honoring Lorraine Hansberry Theater and honoring these young black playwrights. I'm telling you, I have met, because I do a lot of mentoring, um, I get called a lot. Someone says, I just want you to talk to this new young black female playwright. Or a young black playwright will say, can you just read my play and tell me? And I have been like blown away by the voices that are coming up right now. And it's like, we need a space for them and not just in a festival you know we need a space where they are like just churning out work and it's it is a it's a reading or a production or a, a community event where they are being just held up in the light you know mm-hmm. and i i just feel mm-hmm. like i have an opportunity to do that and to just shift my focus from worrying about these predominantly white institutions. Right. Now, I don't care what you do. Do what you need to do. Just, I got to do my thing now. You know, spend so much time trying to work with them and be the liaison and help them with their equity and diversity. Yeah. And, um, and I, I, I wasn't focused on my people. Right. I have a quick question for you, uh, Ms. Hall. Um, you talked about what happens in the the institutions? Like you know, you talked about um, going to the uh, Adelphi University. Do you think that there is cultural racism? We, we've had we've had people talk on uh, past episodes of VA, where they've talked about their experience in, let's say, theatrical institutions, um, places where it's it's controlled. The artistic director was a white person, as opposed to a black person. Do you think that there is cultural? You wouldn't think that there's cultural racism. Within, you know, the theater community, the theater community is supposed to be, well, it's all about cultural diversity and bringing everyone together and hearing these voices and stuff. But do you think it's ingrained? Do you think it's changing? Uh, what's your, what's your take on, I don't know, what's, what, what you've seen within, within. It's, uh, it's, it's systemic. It's systemic. And it goes back to anti-blackness. Anti-blackness is the root of everything. I don't care how liberal you are. I don't care how many black plays you want to put in your theater. If you do not deal with the fact that there is a part of you because of systemic racism where you are anti-black on some level, there is always going to be an issue. Well said. Um, and you know, I'm listening to this book right now called Cast. I don't know if you Yes, all- Cast! Oh God, man. She I think we're going to buy it. My wife likes to get her books from the library, but the, mm-hmm. the wait list is like 50 deep. Audio book it. I listen to books. I, I, can't, I, I can't sit down with a book anymore. I think my eyes just old or whatever. But, uh, but I am listening to that book and the whole, whole source, the idea that whiteness is created. Caucasian was a made up word. Right. Like how, so, and all of that is to elevate whatever this white thing is. 
And it's like a, it, she just compares it to the caste system and it is profound, right? And this is stuff we know, but, right. but just hearing it, hearing the fact that Hitler, their regime used the laws that were created in America around right. slavery. Right. They were like, let's look at what they're doing because they got it right. Right. That's what we have to do. Yep. I mean, this whole idea of, you know, well, if your skin is white, then you're here and then you're black. They made that shit up. Yep. And they have perpetuated that myth. And I feel like that is at the root of everything because we will always be looked at in a certain way that does not give us full integrity. And I feel like of course, I've had incidents where it's just microaggressions and just some silly mess that happens. And you just have to say, D do you realize what you just said to me? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, and then what would happen for me is I would have all these young artists calling me and saying, Margo, this director wants me to do this. I don't feel right about it. This right. director said this to me. I don't feel right about it. And, and, and they're not as vocal as I am. Right. You know, I will tell you right off how I feel and I will do it in a way to teach you something and enlighten you. Um, and so I would have to go to these people and say, why are you going to ask this woman to cut her hair so that she would look more African? Right. She's got curly hair. She's not going to have an afro. <laughs> right. Understand we have different textures right. in our right. hair. So it's like this woman, this beautiful curly mane, black woman, and they're like, well, she doesn't look black enough. So maybe if she cut her hair down short, then she's going to have a short, short curly do. <laughs> right. Uh, but it's just ignorance. But it's not, right. It's not going to look like an afro. No. There have been so many times when I've been on the other side of that conversation and yes. your name comes up. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, what are you going to do? Well, I talked to Margo. Oh, good. That, that, I'm glad you talked to Margo. Yeah. So then they call me. And, and uh, so I feel like what's happening now, and this kind of goes to your question too, Rich. A lot of these young people are saying, I have a voice. This movement, all of this horribleness that's happening has given people voice. Mm -hmm. It has given people um, confidence to say, no, I, you do not get to work me 10 hours a day naked on stage while somebody throws water on me. Right. No. If you want me to do that, then you got to give me therapy. You have to find a space for me where I feel confident and comfortable. Yep. You have Excellent. to protect yeah. me when I leave this theater and I walk across the street to Whole Foods and I have to look in the street and see nigger mm. yep. at Marin Theater. Yep. I want protection. Yeah. Yep. You know, to, yeah. School your community. Yeah. We've been we've been uh, we've been we've had a lot of young actors on um, and we've always tried to talk to them about you know, know what your value is. You know, don't just be happy to get the crumb to say, oh, they gave me a part. I should be so happy and just do whatever they tell you to do. Know mm -hmm. what your value is and, you know, be able to speak out. Uh, if you don't, if you feel uncomfortable, then you should be able to say so and not be conditioned on, well, if I do this, then I'm not going to be cast and I need the money so yes. bad. Yeah. Right. Uh, I'm sure you, you've been in that position where it's like, hey, 
I know I need the money, but my reputation and my validation means more. Yeah. 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 And it's, and it's tough. I mean, this is what we do for a living. Right. <laughs> um, but I think, and I'm grateful that that is going to change because yep. they're not going to get away with it mm. and still be able to have our voice on their stage. And again, it gives us power to say, screw your stage. I'm going to get my own stage. <laughs> and that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about more, you know, BIPOC folks coming together and yeah. creating spaces where we don't have to deal with that. I mean, that was one of the things when everybody was writing their statements and, oh, we're going to do this and Black Lives right. Matter. And we're sitting at a Campo Santo meeting and, and uh, we were talking to um, Roger Gouverneur Smith, you know, oh, yeah. the actor. Yeah, he, he he's written a play. He wrote a play. We have a relationship with him with Campo Santo, and he wrote a right, play yeah. that we did. And he was like, "I bet y'all didn't have to write no statement." And I said, "No, because we've been doing this forever. We are multicultural. We right. are diverse, and we don't think about it. So that's what it should be. Right. Um, and uh, and that's it's it's just about building a space where collaboration is key." There's no hierarchy. There's no like, I'm the artistic director. But you know, white men need that. They need that power. Right. And until they can, fig they can figure out that it's always going to be an issue, then it's always going to be an issue. So either you share the platform mm -hmm. or you move down. Right. Um, and, you know, how's, we'll see if that happens. But what can happen, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's funny that we have suddenly become the elders in this conversation. I know. <laughs> and it's exciting to see all that youthful energy and yet to be able to bring knowledge and experience to the conversation. Yes. You know, I mean, I know that you see and talk to a lot of these folks that are starting to come up. And what I love is they are so fervent. They know they know their truth. And I got schooled on that phrase recently. It's like, no, that's, there's your opinion and your truth. Truth is truth. So if it's your truth, it's because you're holding on to truth in the face of other opinions. Mm -hmm. And having to fight that battle, these people are not going to back down. So it's kind of exciting to be in that position to be able to bring some experience to the conversation. Yes. Yeah, everyone has their own truths and, uh, you know, people choose. And you actually, No, that's, that's what I was schooled on. You do not have your own truth. There is one truth. There is one reality. Yeah. Well, Whether or not are, you recognize it mm -hmm. is another issue. Right. People choose to believe what they want to believe. I guess that's what they're saying. You're absolutely right. There is only one truth. But, you know, people will choose where, what path they wanted to take. I did have a quick question for you, Ms. Hall. Um, mm -hmm. You talked about racism. But what about sexism? Have you had to deal with that? um as a as a uh, as a director yeah yeah but it's but i don't deal with it i mean you know what i mean i, I it it tries to happen but i shut it down but to answer your question yes <laughs> directing men sometimes uh i've had some challenges where they just figure i don't know what i'm doing Right. Um, but, you know, I'm the kind of person to say, let's go outside. Mm -hmm. Let's have a conversation. Um, 
And I was, I surprised myself very early on. Um, I was directing Campo Santo show and you know, my brothers, they do whatever I say. Right. That, that's kind of our uh, thing, you know? So when I got this position, they were like, well, you've been doing this forever. You mm -hmm. are everybody's artistic director. They just right. know it, right? So, um, and, and I'll get back to that question because so when we did uh, um, the very first play I directed with Campo Santo, I wasn't supposed to direct that, right? I was not a director. I was an actor. Mm -hmm. And uh, the guy who was supposed to direct it, he had to drop out. And so the, the, my brothers were like, Marvel, you have to direct it. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know about directing. And they were like, well, you just you know, tell us what to do. That's what you do all the time anyway. <laughs> so I was like, OK, fine. So I directed Joyride. And I said, you all just have to do what I say, because right. I don't know anything about conflict resolution and all these things that go into directing. So we're just going to do this. I'll tell you guys some stuff. We're going to put it together. And it was, it was like blown up, right? Won all these awards and they were like the staging. And I was like, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was in a place where I felt confident and supported and I had a vision, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, so then, so whenever anybody kind of came to Campo and I was directing, there was no issue. I was the director, right? Whether I had directed one play or 20. Then I came across a play and it was a young uh, a, a man who I was directing and I was trying to, you know, be me and tell you, okay, you got to do this and you have to do this. And, and he was just kind of coming at me. And uh, he just wouldn't take my direction mm -hmm. and... And it became an issue. And so literally I said, we need to step outside because I'm not going to tell you what I need to say to you in front of my cast right now. Right. Literally. And that intersection, we had the back stairs. We had right. this little area. You probably know, like where you go to the bathroom. Right. Little back stairs that we would hang out until four in the morning on. And we went back to the back stairs. And I said, you know, I don't know what your problem is, but we work together here. We are a family. And I don't know what your issues are with me being a woman or what have you, but we don't have time for that. We got a play to do. So you need to get out of your feelings and appreciate my vision and understand that this is going to happen. And, um, and he was like, well, da, 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 da. I said, what did I say? <laughs> mm, I hear that. <laughs> um, and we went back in the room and that was the end of it. Mm -hmm. but, but it came from a place of we're trying to do something bigger than your issues. Right. And that's when people play these little silly games, either it's racism or sexism. It's just like, do you understand what the vision is here? Mm-hmm. We're trying to do something that can change the world. We don't have time for your mess. And that is what, you know, always at Compo, the play is the thing. Right. Whenever we would get kind of lost or anything, we would just literally go, pick up the text, pick up the play, look at the play, and let's read about what we're doing here. That's uh -huh. what the most important thing is. So whenever those issues come up for me, I, I have such a bigger idea of why I'm doing what I'm doing that it's like, okay, whatever, you got your little issues, but I got something to do. Um, so 
yeah, there have been times when it's happened, but I'm, I'm always pretty clear on what I want to accomplish. So I just move it out of the way. It's such an Ellen Sebastian way of approaching it too. <laughs> yeah. You know, this is a piece that we're creating and it's unique. I, I love that. And I do think you share that vision. What we're doing is now, this is now, and this is what we are doing. Yes. Yeah. Let's focus on that. Everything else is a distraction. Yeah, it is. Or a challenge that we want to find a way to overcome. We're not going to get stuck. Right. You know, and you, you work in theaters and you can tell, like, the black plays have the least amount of resources. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you know, okay, we see it, but we're still going to blow this place out. Right. We're going to deal with what we have and be even better than the big giant musical, okay? Because that's yeah. how we do. When your producer comes to you with the, you know, shining, you know, bright, shiny eyes because they're so amazed. And it's like, well, you didn't know what you were producing. We knew. <laughs> right, right. We um, knew what we were here to do. That's right, that's right. And now, now they love it so much and they're about to lose the opportunity. I, I just, I know we're getting at that point where we should start to wrap up, but I yeah. want to touch on the play that I love the most is, um, uh, what is it? Trouble in Mind. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. And I feel like people go and they see that and they walk away. I mean, it's a very Bay Area sort of play where the audience walks away sort of patting themselves like, boy, I totally understand that. And it's like, do you not see where that play ends? That play ends with somebody in turmoil trying to make sense of this situation. And I feel like that's where we often find ourselves as theater artists. Mm -hmm. So I love that they did the play and I love that you got to <laughs> try to live in that role. Oh yeah, that was, that was a fantastic part uh, of my career. That play shifted a lot for me. And I'm sure you, you know, talked with Elizabeth about what we had to deal with director-wise oh, yeah. and every all those challenges. Um, but again, the play was the thing. And I, right. re I refused to let that play suffer because of just ignorance. Right. It and doesn't get seen enough. So yeah. you have the opportunity. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to bring it back. We definitely doing that play. Oh, great. Yes. Um, and it's one of my... The, it's, a, it's an amazing play. And, you know, that play was supposed to go to Broadway before Raisin in the Sun. But she oh. did not change the ending. Uh-huh. And so they said, if you don't change the ending, you won't be the first Black female artist on Broadway. And she right. said, I'm not changing the ending. And so they took Raisin in the Sun. Isn't it? Right. Wow. History. Wow. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So do you know where um, where Lorraine Hansberry is going next, or is that something that's in discussion at this point? You mean physically or? Physically, because I know you guys had been talking to the burial clay, right? Yeah, well, we were at the burial clay. Um, but, you know, everything is so crazy right now. Right. Our goal is to get a space. Right. We, are, we're, we need a space. We need a space so we can do all these fantastic things. So oh. that is part of the big mission, you know, is yeah. getting a space. Once everything clears up, uh, I don't know what's going to happen with the burial play. 
Right. Uh, nobody knows. Right. Yeah. Nobody knows. And that's why we, you know, that's the hardest thing is we don't have real estate. Right. Theaters get to claim their space. People know where they are. Yes. It's like one week we're downtown. Next week we're in Moab. Next week right. we're in the backyard of Jimmy's house. You know, right. so it's like we need a space. Yeah, I've so done a couple of the readings up at the Space Center in Richmond. Right. And I'm like, uh, okay, this is far afield, but yay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, I appreciate all those spaces. Of course, yeah. they are spaces that we can use and do work. But yeah. ultimately, you to build stability, people need to find, be able to find you and to build community. And it's not just a space anywhere. It's a space that needs the space. It's a space that needs community. It's a space right. that needs black art. Yep. Uh, that's the space we need to look for um, because it's more than just producing a play. Well, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed for it. You mentioned community. I feel like I, I want to touch on a little of your personal community. So you've been married now for how long? Oh, I'm not, we're not married yet. We're engaged. Oh, did y'all engage? What did y'all do? Yeah, yeah, we've been engaged forever. Engaged. Uh, yeah, I just remembered. Partner Manny, who is... Seven years, yeah. Me you know, and I've known you for long enough to know when that relationship started, and then it just got sweeter and sweeter. Yeah. And he's yeah. such a dear man. I mean, I love right. that he always seems to be in his own space. He holds his own space well, but he always feels like he is there for you. Oh, yeah. He's always, he's just the best. He's such a support and he just, you know, he appreciates my work. I appreciate what he does. He works. What does he for, do? He works for the Wreck and uh, Park. He's a sports guy. You know, he coaches golf and basketball and baseball and he works with all the camps and the adult programs. He's been with them over 30 years. You know, he's a, he grew up, you know, he went to school, he played basketball, football. Um, and so he's has nothing to do with theater, but right. he loves theater. And no, he totally shows up. He's a poet. He's a poet. So he likes to write poetry. And he was in love with Jessica Hagedorn. So when he found out that I worked with Jessica Hagedorn, he almost lost his mind. Because he saw her at Intersection many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so, uh, yeah, and, you know, he's that guy who says, baby, I take the pictures. You shine, right? Oh, I don't. I, I take the photos. I keep the history. Um, and so, yeah, he's a profound partner in many ways. Um, yeah. No, it's wonderful. I mean, you can't, the, the type of work you're talking about accomplishing needs that support. So yeah. it's great to know it's there. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is all the time. And and he loves Camposanto and they love him. And Yay. my brothers approve. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we're at that time where we should talk about birthdays. Yeah. Just want to say, uh, Miss Hall, thank you so much. And wow, you know, it's uh, uh, sort of like a fly on the wall, but just listening to you. And, you know, we need that strong presence, especially in black theater. I can't yeah. tell you how many times as a black actor, I try to impress, you know, people from above or whatever, you know, or as a writer, you know, please yeah. write or whatever. And now I'm feeling between you and Dominique Williams, and mm -hmm. we had a couple of other um, 
uh, artists coming on you know, of color who are now getting into prestigious positions yes. where now we are really being represented from up top. So um, yeah. it, it's a nice change and I, it's, it's, yes. it's wonderful and I hope that it keeps going. So yes, yes. me too, me too. Birthdays, go ahead, Norman. Shout outs. Okay, so I'm gonna mess up his name, Shinichi Iova Koga. I hope that's right. Um, as somebody who I've barely actually even seen face to face, um, but I'm very aware of his work. He does um, Japanese-influenced, movement-based theater. And he's, it's one of the most amazing things to me about Bay Area theater is you find people who have just decided they're not doing it, not letting anybody else tell them how to do it. They're going to do it their own way. So his birthday is today. And then Paul Jennings, actor I went to. Oh, Paul! Yeah, it's, today's his birthday. I went to San Francisco State with him. Um, and... and the many, the decades since then, we have rarely worked together, but stayed very aware of each other. I got to hire him to do um, a history piece up in Berkeley a couple of years ago, maybe three or four years ago now, and uh, and it was so funny because I didn't ask for a costume or anything. The man came all made up, oh, yeah. with a mustache and all this stuff. I was like, oh my god! So um, he gets a lot of deserves a lot of attention for his Shakespeare work. He's yeah. all over the world doing Shakespeare. So uh, his birthday is also today. Uh, we talked about AJ, our guest last week. AJ's birthday is to, is tomorrow, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Tomorrow, yeah. Um, Amber Rubarth is a musician, actually, but I got to, I met her through a Play Cafe's Musical Cafe. She was part of a trio of people who wrote a beautiful musical called The Paper Raincoat. And it's a father-daughter story of reconciliation. The music was so beautiful, I'm hoping. And last I heard, they were shopping it around in New York. So I hope that's happening. Um, a high school alum of mine, Krista Carson Elhai, took over the theater department that we went to school in and has run it this whole time. She was going to retire last year, made a big announcement about retiring, and then because of COVID, the school asked her if she could come back and do this year I don't know how anybody is doing school online, but she is doing it. Yeah. Uh, Julie Evans um, is a wonderful actress. I One of the first times I got hired as a director by somebody who I didn't know, um, I did this play, and it was a love triangle. And she asked me what my strength was, and I went into that meeting thinking I was going to say diversity as a director. But when I, by the time I got there, I'd rethought it, and I said ensemble, actually. Mm -hmm. um, I really worked, because I don't think any good playwright writes an unimportant role. So the play only works if all those pieces work together, and you have to know that. But, um, but I said a diversity is important, and I want one of the characters in this, th this love triangle to be of color. I'm not going to say what they have to be, but I want that. I ended up hiring... Um, Armando McLean. Yeah, and you know, Armando was my student. Yeah, I know. That's how I got Armando. That was, that was, I got to put Armando in a lead role. I was so thrilled. And now I watch him and I'm like, God damn, you were just blowing up. But Julie <laughs> was the other one. Um, Latina, but very, you know, white Latina. But, you know, it was nice to have that mix on. And she's got, she's a beautiful woman with this incredible sense of humor. Her birthday's coming up. Uh, let's see. Uh, Sherry Young's birthday is coming yeah. up in a couple of days. 
the um, founder and executive director of the African-American Shakespeare Company, also an alum of mine, and I was one of the founding artists with that company, uh, Christine Young, um, no relation, <laughs> really wonderful white woman who um, teaches, I think yeah. she's still teaching at USF. USF. <laughs> yeah, um, and she's one of those, when you talk about women and women needing to be in powerful roles, she and I have been having conversations about theater since, you know, back before I got involved with Cal Shakes and, you know, in the late 90s. Um, and I kept waiting for her to get someplace. So when she got to the college, I was like, yay. Phil Wong, um, anybody in the Bay Area who doesn't know who Phil Wong is, is missing out on this multi-talented um, Asian-American actor who plays everything, does everything. <laughs> You, yeah. can't, you can't overstate how much Phil does. Phil did the song that I did in As You Like It last summer. Was he in Maddie Mae or, or am I mistaken? No, 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 not Phil. Okay. He was a good person of Szechuan at Cal Shakes. At Cal we, Shakes. That we just did. That was the last and show I did. Right. And was writing music for our show at the same time. Like, mm -hmm. crazy man. Yeah. Josh Costello is an amazing theater, Bay Area theater I just, I just the is not even beginning to cover what he does. Um, and Linda Ayers Frederick, good Lord, a lot of birthdays this week. Yeah. Linda Ayers Frederick, who runs the Phoenix Theater. I'm stealing that one from you, I'm sure, Ridge. Don't worry about I'm it. Skip one because I know you got it. Mm -hmm. Erica Richardson is a, a black. Um, she is a really strong musician. So the fact that she's also a strong actress sometimes gets missed. Mm -hmm. uh, Julie Waldman is a, I think last time I checked, she was in New York. She's somebody I went to high school with. Uh, Kathleen Ridley. Good God, there's so many yep, people. Kathleen. Kathleen Ridley is this wonderful force. And again, um, where Margot, you might get find yourself being pushed into that activist role, people coming to you and talking to you. Kathleen is also very much in that same. Yeah. Yeah, and at the same time, she's working in so many little companies. I'm like, Damn, does this woman not ever, does she ever have downtime? Mm -hmm. um, and then finally, Eric Reed. Eric Reed, um, I know him as a director, but as also an actor. I was in a playground reading, he was directing, and he was in a show, and I had auditioned for the show and hadn't gotten cast. I know they wanted a big black man for that role, and I'm not a big black man. So they cast him, and they were going through rehearsals, and the director was just frustrated because he wasn't getting what he wanted out of this actor. And Eric is like, I am working with Norman G. You need to hire Norman G. And they ended up firing this guy and hiring me. So <clears throat> I really needed, needed that at that moment in my career for somebody to go, yes, you. <laughs> and Eric is that guy, and now I guess he's down in L.A. So those are mine for the week. Happy birthday, y'all. I only have three. Uh, yeah, we all need friends like that. Um, so... Um, uh, a friend of mine who graduated from Duke Ellington School of the Arts along with me, although she uh, graduated okay. after me. Yeah, I went to uh, Ellington and also yeah. Regina, jo Regina Johnson. Her birthday is on Tuesday. She is a, she, what, she acted a lot in LA. She did a lot of uh, film stuff. And then I guess um, she had to do with a lot of um, sexism related stuff. And now she's back in DC taking care of her mom, but an incredible oh. talent. And I just want to honor her. Her birthday is Tuesday on Wednesday. An ex Eastender, uh, John Hutchinson, I believe yes. he's 83 years old. He is the oldest individual who I've interviewed on the A. And he talked about, he still remembers uh, as a kid listening to Franklin Delano Roosevelt on the uh, Fireside Chats on the radio. 
And I was like, wow, that is just a slice of history that, you know, that none of us can really fathom. I want to get there. <laughs> yeah, a member of the greatest generation and he is still, he, he's still involved and he's a great writer. He's a great mm -hmm. actor. And I just want to, and he's doing, he's healthy, wealthy, and wise. So Hutch, happy birthday to you. And the last person, uh, Justin Sadoian, I believe he is a, um, I believe he's a producer and probably the newest artistic director for Ray of Light Theater. Oh, yeah. Ray, Ray of Light was ran by Shane Ray for a long time, and then he handed over the reins to Justin. And Ray of Light Theater, if you've ever acted, they're over at the Victorian Theater on 16th and Mission. Okay, yeah. And they do a lot of musicals. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of folks who have gone to Ray of Light, and they've gone on to New York. Uh, I've talked about uh, James Iglehart. He directed Bat Boy, the musical, before he went on to win his Tony Award and do other great things. So, Justin, uh, happy birthday to you, and that's my short list. Margo, you got any birthdays you want to celebrate this? Uh, yeah, Champagne Hughes. She yes. How did I skip that one? Yes, there's oh a, a couple days. Um, and who else? I don't know. That's the first one that comes to my mind is Champagne. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. and if there are any shows you want to shout out, I'm mine. Mine is finally happening this week. Um, Hamlet Coast is next weekend. Okay. Um, and I wanted to just mention it's a uh, Neva Hut Neva yeah Neva Hutchinson <laughs> no relation. Um, uh, did an adaptation of Hamlet, uh, just really focusing more on that relationship with the ghost. Mm -hmm. um, I'm playing King Claudius. Louis Parnell, who I don't think I've actually ever worked with, is <laughs> Polonius. Yeah. Um, and Richard Talavera, my dear friend, is playing Marcellus and the Player King and I think some other role. Um, it's a lot of fun. Right. So, yeah. this weekend. Good to see Richard Talavera back in action. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, there are, uh, let's see, there are two shows, actually three things. You talked about Hamlet's Ghost. That'll be uh, September the 25th and the 26th. And we'll 5 p.m. Yeah, and we'll have a link to that. Also, uh, Bystanders, Central Works, they're celebrating the 30th right. season. And uh, their uh, Bystanders, that opened on the 14th and it ends on the 20th. It's an audio play. It extends, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's extended, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll, ha we'll have a link to that as well. And that's an audio play. And, you know, check that out. Also, Plethos is doing a Joketoberfest. Not mm. Oktoberfest, Joketoberfest. And so we're always pushing uh, Plethos. They're a uh, theater company in, in um, Castro Valley. And so that'll be on October the 3rd. And we'll have a link to that. And also the project that I'm working on. So the private lives of the not-so-master race. This mm. is the Brecht project. So me and three others. And it's being directed by uh, Kimberly Ridgway. Mm -hmm. and uh, produced by uh, Scott Munson and Susan Evans. And so a bunch of us playwrights have written adaptations of Bertrand Brecht's one-act one act play. Mm -hmm. he, he did several one-act plays uh, based on Fear and Misery of the Third Reich, what was going on during the Hitler administration, and we're twisting it to talk about what's going on in the Trump administration. Mm -hmm. so I, I'm sorry, did you say there are dates for this? There are no dates set as of yet. It's still the last week of October, but they do have a website and they have a fundraiser. So I think what's happening is they're finding out, I think we're trying to hustle actors up to try to see what dates of availability are there yeah. for the actors. And then I think by next week, we'll have some dates set. But it'll be by, by sure the last week of October, probably the 25th, 26th, 27th, we're not sure. But in any case, the Breck Project, it's something that we're very passionate about. And we're hoping that people will uh, contribute to it and there'll be a link. 
thebreckproject.org. So that's that. I have one more, and I'm sorry, but I just I just saw it. Uh, the 24 Hour Play Fest. That's right, Peter Moo, um, which is not here, uh, Minnesota, right? Yeah, Minnesota, Lily Tom Crystal. But Lily, yeah, Lily Tong Crystal was a major Bay Area actor. She uh, founded Ferocious Lotus, which is still going on. Mm-hmm. And they are doing a thing that is going on right now. So I'm going to send you the link, Reg, just to make sure we can get that one in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We want to support um, Lily Tong Crystal. She came on the yay, and uh, she's been fantastic. And I'm glad she's doing such great stuff in Minnesota. It's really, really cool. Yeah, so excited yeah. for me. Yeah, I don't, I don't have any shout-outs of plays, but I just – it's such a pleasure to just hear all these names in our community that have been around for years. And I, I love the Bay Area community so much. And people always say, you know, why didn't you go to LA? Or why didn't you go back to New York? But I love our community. And that's why I fight so hard for our community. And just hearing like Paul Jennings, I've known Paul Jennings forever right um and he is he's just he he loves theater um and i love people who love theater i love theater so much so i just enjoy hearing all these projects and names and folks still doing work so great to have yeah yeah did you enjoy yourself uh margo i did it was such a pleasure you know we wake up these mornings and it's so heavy sometimes and and we just try to figure out how we're gonna make it through the day. And then you come on something like this and you just get to hang and talk and feel and share your hearts and it just lifts you. So I I appreciate you. I appreciate you both for this. Thank you. Oh, also, let's talk, let's talk about your website, your, uh, your podcast. You have an upcoming, you have a podcast going on, so we want to promote that as well. Oh, yeah. Um, that's a really big, ooh, yeah, that's, I don't even, we don't have the release dates yet. We're trying to get okay. it all done, but we have, like, stars reading the parts, and, you know, it's going to be big. Really hey. podcast, so. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll keep our uh, eyes and ears out, and of course, you know, of course, you know, we, we're gonna we do the yay every week. So send us links, okay. or, you know, uh, just keep keep us in touch, and we'll promote it. Yeah, and I'll let you know about the uh, also the Campo Santo piece and the feminist podcast, all of that. Um, <laughs> yes. Right mm-hmm. on. So uh, people, yeah, everyone's listening to this or watching this either on uh, YouTube. And if you're on YouTube, please like and subscribe what the millennials always say. And if you have issues with it or you think that there's a way that we can tweak our podcast, uh, let us know. Uh, you may be listening to this on, uh, you can listen to this on any podcast, any app that you listen to your podcast. If you're an Apple user like me, then there's that purple um, link. There's that purple uh, icon that you click on to. And so you can listen to it, uh, us on that. We're also on Spotify. We're also on the, uh, the, uh, the iTunes app. If you're a SoundCloud user, I'm sorry, if you're an Android user, you can go on the SoundCloud app or just go on soundcloud.com. The A was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram. I'm at Red Space Clay. And I'm at Who's Your Hoosier? Margo, do you have a, um, any uh, Twitter, Snapchat? Social media. Yeah. Twitter, salty and smart. <laughs> IG, Margo, dot. Yes. Right so, on. yeah, I got all of that. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> cool. We'll have the links to all of that stuff. And uh, so hit her up if you need to uh, talk to her yeah. directly. And uh, as we always say on the A, we, we got to find a better sign-off. And we <laughs> are out.